welcome. As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please um, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, this is your word, I pray now that you would grant us great attention. I, I do pray that we have been worshipping. It was our initial prayer that you would come and lead us, guide us to your throne of grace, guide us, lead us into your presence, guide us, lead us into worship. And so I pray that we've done that, if we haven't, forgive us. But I pray that it has been strengthening, sustaining to us to speak that which is true of you, to give you thanks for what you've done, to praise you for who you are, to submit ourselves to you. And now we come to do the same, to submit ourselves to you, to, to your word, to listen, to believe, um, to live. So I pray now that you would bless in the deepest and richest sense of that word, the reading and understanding of the scripture. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. And, uh, so, and do that, please. This is a, kind of a tightly packed passage. Um, and so it's helpful, I think, to um, look at it as we um, work our way through it. So uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. If you've got a Bible open, if you've got one of those little funky things that uh, has a screen on it, uh, find 2 Corinthians 1 there. But I, if you email somebody while I'm preaching, it'll be to your detriment. Um, but... Uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, please hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted, are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received this, the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, I began this some weeks ago, and I must confess to you that when I started Second Corinthians, before I took a bit of a break from preaching, uh, 
I, I didn't think the break was going to happen that quickly. Uh, I thought I had a couple of more weeks. If only I'd looked at my calendar. Fortunately, someone asked me, one of our music people asked me that next week, um, who was going to do the order of worship since I wasn't preaching. And I said, well, I am. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, oh. So, so that, I, I'm sorry for the gap between kind of the introduction of Second Corinthians and, and, and today. So I'm going to have to backtrack, I think, at least from my head a little bit and, uh, and, and perhaps repeat a few things or at least say, them, say some things a bit differently, but of the same text and, and move through it a bit more. Last time, I tried at least to, to introduce it. Now, you remember I said that uh, uh, Paul, when he was writing to this church in Corinth, had written at least these two letters that we have and perhaps a couple others. But, but, but he was writing them this one we call Second Corinthians to, because he had the unhappy task, really, of trying to defend his authority among them. His apostleship had been, had been, had been challenged. There had been some who'd come through after he had gone and after he established the church. There had been some who'd gone through, uh, that he sort of sarcastically refers to as the super apostles and, 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 and cast aspersions really on, on, on Paul's authority among them. And so he comes to make defense really of his apostleship. He doesn't do it out of arrogance or pride. He doesn't do it because he, he wants to hold fast his position among, amongst them, to have his position amongst them. But he's doing it because he knows his calling. He knows that he's been called by the Lord Jesus, sent by the Lord Jesus with the truth of the gospel, the truth concerning God and Jesus and us, if you will. And he knows that he has that and he realizes that these others who've come into Corinth after he's left will distort that. And they're distorting what it really means to follow Christ. It is, they're distorting what it means to really live out this life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And so that's why he's doing it. It isn't out of pride or any of that. And it seems as if one of the attacks upon him is that he's, he doesn't look very impressive. Uh, in fact, his, his, his life, at least part of it, doesn't seem that impressive because it seems like everywhere Paul goes, he's thrown into prison or he's beaten or, or people reject him and kick him out of town. And, and these super apostles come in and they look bright and shiny and they look successful and they seem to, to have it all together. And, 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 and the church looks at Paul and looks at these and says, we'd rather be like them. We'd rather look like at least we have it all together. We'd rather, we'd rather not suffer. We'd rather not be persecuted for Jesus' sake. And, and, and so we'd rather identify with these than identify with this one who keeps, keeps getting in difficulties all the time and suffering affliction. And so Paul is writing to them, and we'll see this throughout. Paul's writing to them to say that actually... It's the afflictions I suffer. It's the sufferings of persecution that happened to me that are for your blessing and thus really through them enable me to be a helpful apostle. It really confirms the fact that I'm an apostle. It doesn't cast dispersions on it. And so he's going to be laying that out. And he does that in this very, very first First chapter. And, and so what we want to do with the next number of months, however long it takes us, next number of months, is to kind of listen in 
to listen to Paul as he writes to this church. Because we know as he writes to them, he's writing to us. We know that what he writes to them is the word of God. And so what we glean from it is the very word of God, you see. And so it's a blessing. It's helpful to us. Just as it was helpful to them, it will be helpful to us to strengthen, encourage, give us grace. And so as Paul comes to them, he begins really with, with, a, with a benediction. Now it's a reverse benediction. Uh, normally, what at least what, what I think of when I think of a benediction is it's something that comes at the end of the service, or we read in the scripture, and it's 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 God's blessing upon us. That sense of benediction. Benediction, as you know, means ben of good uh, addiction. Speak. It's a good word. All right. And so, at the end of the worship service today, as always, we end with a benediction. It's it's that good word. It's you know uh, uh, God instructed. Uh, Moses through uh, God through Moses instructed the, the priests in ancient Israel to pronounce this benediction uh, on on the people of God. They were to wear it. They were to take it. It was to be the very name of God upon them. And so that blessing from God. But but he begins by saying, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." And so he's benedicting. He's blessing God, if you will. Uh, this the, from this word for bless. We get our English word, eulogy. Now, when you think about a eulogy, you're probably thinking about a funeral. And when you're thinking about a eulogy as a, at a funeral, it isn't simply, you're asked to provide a eulogy at a funeral. It isn't simply to, to, to list facts about this person's life, but rather to bless that person, to, to speak a word of blessing, to speak a good word about that person. That's why... Many times when you listen to a eulogy at a funeral, you think, that's not who that was. Because you're trying to say the very best about him. That's why some eulogies are quite short. Uh, and others might be longer. But, but you, you, that's what it's to be. It isn't to be a critique of the person's life. It's supposed to be a blessing. But when, God, when Paul blesses God, when we bless God, as the psalmist say, bless the Lord of my soul and all of that. And Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to leave anything out. It was everything he can possibly say about God is, is good. And what he wants to highlight... Because he, what he wants them to know that he's learned through the course of his life that God has revealed to him that will be a blessing to them is that God is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And, and when he says he's the father of mercies, he's saying he's a merciful Father. Now, I know that in our day, and perhaps to us history, the word father isn't always a good one. It doesn't always sort of cause good thoughts and feelings and all of that because of experiences. But when, when God is spoken of his father, the point is he's the perfect father. And so when he says he's the father of mercies, the merciful father... It means, yes, he acts on our behalf mercifully, but he acts on our behalf with mercy because he sympathizes with us. There's, there's a sense here of feeling. There's a sense here of the affection that God has for us. 
isn't just simply this objective being that makes decisions. He is God of mercy. And so we read about the Holy Spirit, for instance, being grieved. It's, it's a real grieving. It's a real feeling. When we read of God being pleased, it's a real pleasure. God rejoicing, it's real rejoicing. Filled with everything you might imagine of rejoicing, you see. And so this Father of mercies, Paul's just kind of laying this groundwork. Here's how I want you to understand God. That he has sympathy for us. He, he pities. He, well, the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 103, <clears throat> it's like this verse 13. As, fa- as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion for those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. When he looks upon us, he, he, the mercy comes to him. He says, oh, I, I know their difficulties. I know their trouble. Uh, and so I'm going now to help them. And, and so Father of mercies, merciful Father, God of all comfort. And as we mentioned some weeks ago, this sense of comfort isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling like we bring our comforter up at night to make us warm and feel good. It, it does all of that. It makes us should make us feel secure. But 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 the, but but he's saying here that the word comfort means to come alongside in such a way as to strengthen and encourage us, you see. And he's the God of all Comfort. There isn't any other real comfort outside of God. Every kind of comfort that is needed is, is in God and, and, and can come, if you will, from Him. He's the God of it. He's sovereign over it. He's the author of it. And so we know that when He comforts, it's real comfort. Nothing can thwart Him because He's God. Uh, he's, he's wise, so He knows exactly the kind of comfort that is necessary at any one point in time to come along us, alongside of us perfectly, to strengthen and, and to encourage us and to enable us really to endure with joy. 19th century theologian Charles Hodge puts it like this. God is the author of consolation, comfort, not only by delivering us from evil or by ordering external circumstances, but also and chiefly by his inward influence on the mind itself assuaging its tumults and filling it with joy and peace and believing. I know some of that language is a bit archaic, but, but, but he's saying that this is the sense of God. He, he is the God of all comfort. He can, he can deliver us from evil, remove it from us. He can change the difficult circumstances, right? He can heal if that's a cause of affliction. He can restore relationships if that's a cause of affliction. He can bring safety if that's a cause of affliction, whatever, whatever it is. He can end wars. And he can do that. But, but primarily, as we, especially as we read through how Paul explains to us in this letter about how God comforts an affliction, he says, but chiefly, it, it is an inward thing. It's an inward influence on the mind, as he puts it. We might want to even say of the heart of the mind itself, assuaging its tumult, that is, it's, it's, it's bouncing around, and filling it with joy and peace in believing. In other words, 
How God comforts us primarily is to work in us in such a way that enables us to have real peace, real joy in believing. There's so trusting God that in the midst of whatever it is that's causing the affliction, in the midst of it, we can still have joy and peace. And that, that's how it generally comes. Now you get the sense in, in, in Corinth that the super apostles were saying, we don't have to experience any of this. And that's how God comforts. And look at Paul, he keeps experiencing all this affliction. He must not really be of God. And so you don't really have to experience any of this. Life can be just good and in that sense. And, and so... So Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If you go down that track, it might work for a while, especially if you're born in 21st century America, right? Or 20th century America, I suppose, too. Some of it. And, and so, so you, you know, you can feel pretty good about life for quite some time, but it won't last. And if that's your hope, then you'll lose Faith, because it isn't real faith. Because it isn't real faith in God. And so, so that's what he wants to, to lay out for them and for us. And this is important, you see. Because what's important is that Paul's life, is he laid it out filled with affliction. I mean, we'll find portions of Second Corinthians where he lays out these long lists of, at the end, you're just tired for him. You know, it's just amazing what he, what he went through, you know. He, he spoke of, of being hungry and being thirsty. He spoke of times of, of being naked and left for dead. And he spoke of times of being beaten. And, he, and he, he, he said that he was in danger everywhere he went, whether it was on the land or on the sea. And we, we know as we read his life in the book of Acts and in, through his letters that he, he was in danger on the land and in the sea shipwrecked various times. Uh, we, we know that he was in danger from robbers. We know that he was in danger from his fellow, fellow countrymen, the Jews. We know that he was in danger from, from Gentiles. Uh, so wherever he went, uh, he found himself to be in difficult straits. He even speaks of a thorn in the flesh, which was a messenger from Satan to buffet him. And, and we don't know exactly what that was, but it doesn't sound good. And especially as he refers, it was a messenger from Satan. Messages from Satan are never good. Right? If you get a letter from him, don't open it. Right? It's just not a good thing. And uh, it came to buffet him, you know. And so, uh, uh, to, to knock him around. To knock him off his game, if you will. To knock him out of following Christ. That was the purpose of it. Uh, from Satan, at least. God had other purposes. And so we look at that life, Paul knew affliction, the word affliction speaks to us of pressure, speaks to us of, of, of being pressured, like being in a vice, for instance, or, or think of a wine, a grapes in a wine press, that kind of, of, that kind of pressure. And we, and we know affliction, we know affliction in a general kind of way, as, as Paul begins all of this. We, we can know affliction physically, whether it's sickness, whether it's disability whether it's aging, whether it brings us to the very doorsteps of death, you know, physical affliction. We know emotional affliction, you know that. 
and discouragement, frustration, fear, anxieties, depression. You know, relational pressures in the context of marriage, which in the context of family, parents with children, siblings. We know with our neighbors, we know it with friends, we know it with roommates, we know it with classmates, we know it with colleagues. Socially, we know it as we relate to one another personally, but in a, in a broader way, we know it socially. We know the affliction that happens socially. I mean, uh, the fear that we have because of what goes on in the context of culture, changing values, values which conflict with the values of the scripture, the values that God has given to us to live, and thus the, the, the conflict that can come, the affliction that can come because of that. We know the affliction that comes socially because of the, the fears that which we live. Um, a report just the other day, what was it, that there's been 204 acts of mass murder in the United States in the first 204 days of the year. And a mass murder being defined as that in which there's been four or more people killed in one incident. I mean, to think about that. We live here in that kind of... Of a, of a world that's, that's affliction, that's pressure, that's stress, anxiety that, that we live with going to the movie theater, coming to church. And so that's the kind of world we live in. And, 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 and the apostle knows that there's, there's obviously political affliction, that, that we feel pressure from terrorism, pressure from war. I mean, I, I, can, can you even imagine right now the United States not being at war somewhere? And so we live with that, with that understanding economically, we, uh, personally, with our jobs and, and just making ends meet or trying to get ahead or keeping up with others or however you might feel that pressure and thinking that through. And, and we feel that kind of pressure. We know we're in a global economy. And so not only we're we worried about our own economy, but, but the uh, influence that other economies can have on our economy. And so we're, we're thinking about that. All that means that's, that's we wake up with that. Uh, every every day, that kind of affliction. And, and of course, that kind of affliction we know is general, if you will. It comes as we explain it. The Bible explains it because of, of, of sin, because of the, the, the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and, and how that turned everything on its ear. And so we know that we live in a fallen world. So that kind of affliction will befall everyone in general kinds of in general kinds of ways. So Paul, in a very general way, begins verse five, for instance, I'm sorry, verse 4, he speaks of the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, that's a tremendous statement. Paul is saying to us, you need to grab a hold of this, that in every kind of affliction, every kind of pressure, that God will strengthen his people. He'll strengthen us. He'll strengthen his people. And so Paul is saying to them, the, 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 the experiences I have of suffering and affliction, you see, are common in one sense to us. We'll get more specific in a minute. Common to all of us. But, but my testimony to you is that God brings strength 
to endure. He gives an example of this in verse 8. He says, we, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life in itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And so how can you more gravely describe a situation? He said, I've come to the end of myself. I have no strength at all left to deal, to cope with the situation which I was in. We don't know exactly which situation this was in Paul's life. We could trace it to a few, but it really, in a sense, doesn't matter. Uh, think of something really bad, because that's how he describes it. He didn't know what to do, how to do it, and he hadn't the strength to do it. He assumed, it seemed to him, that he had already received a death sentence, that he was going to die. And he said, in a sense then, if we could translate this from the context, that, 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 that the comfort he received, the strength he received, came by way of him, as he puts it like this, um, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was... To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we set our hope that he will deliver us again. In other words, he's saying, when we got to that point, we stopped relying upon ourselves at all, because we couldn't. And do you know what happened? God strengthened us. It's as if he raised us from the dead. And now... I have hope. And I want to pass this hope along to you. I want to tell you that when you get to that place, that God comes and strengthens and encourages. You don't need to worry about that place. You don't need to worry about getting to that place. You don't need to worry when life overwhelms you. You don't need to worry when, it, when you've lost your strength. When you haven't any resources with which to deal with the circumstance and the situation. Don't worry. My testimony to you that, that he's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. I know you're worried about it. But don't be worried about it. Because he'll come. He's the one who raises the dead. And so he'll raise you up. He'll give you strength. He'll enable you. And even if you die, he'll raise you up. In his own presence. And so trust. Trust him. And Paul says, and so that's my message to you. He says, look in verse 4. He says, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now here Paul gives us a reason uh, why we go through what we go through. It's not the only reason, and it's, and it's kind of a reason that hits you mid-reason, if you will. You kind of, you, I want to say, well, why do we suffer at all? It's another question. But there's a sense in which, since we do, here's a purpose. And Paul says, because we're united with Christ and because we're united to each other, that when one of us suffers, all of us suffer. And one of us is comforted, all of us is comforted. He says, my sufferings aren't simply my sufferings. My sufferings occur so that I may be comforted, so that I may be a blessing to you and your life. You see, and I know, when we go through suffering, 
it's very easy, in some sense necessary, to focus upon ourselves. We're going to deal with this situation. But the danger with that is that our focus can get so self-focused that we forget this. We forget that God, who is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, has placed us in this circumstance and situation to strengthen us, encourage us, enable us, so that we can be a blessing to others. I mean, you can make a list of purposes for suffering. He gives us just one here. And that is, our suffering is to be ultimately a blessing for another person. And you might say, well, yeah, I get that. If I go through something, then I can help somebody else who goes through it. Yes and no. Yes, you perhaps can empathize with them. But if your suffering destroys you, you won't be a blessing to the other person. But if through your suffering, you find comfort from God, then you can be an encouragement to someone else because God can comfort them too. Sometimes people come to me and they've had, they've had difficulties and they've suffered and maybe in the same way I'm suffering, but they have a lot of money and that seems what got them out of it, right? Well, they have a lot of connections. Well, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of connections. So that's really not going to help me. Oh, I'm glad you feel my pain. But, but, it really, but if they can come and say to me, regardless of the money, regardless of the connections, regardless of personal strength, regardless of this or that, God is the one who comes to encourage. And here's what he did in my heart, in my mind, to enable me to continue on with joy. This is what he said. This is what, this is true about God, you see. Then I can have that too. I can be encouraged by that, by that as well. And so you see, Paul was encouraged, strengthened, comforted by God. And then he could comfort them. Now, part of his comfort to them is he writes in letters. But, but we're also then, if you will, to comfort one another. And so it's necessary, you see, for us to learn on good days, or what I would say build an infrastructure on good days of hearing and being encouraged by God. God works through means. He, and, and, and one of the means, a primary means through which he works is worship. Corporate worship. Now, I know you think I have a vested interest in getting you here on Sunday mornings to kind of keep my job and all that. And probably I do. You stop showing up. It's bad for me. But that isn't the deal, really. You know that. We need this. I need this. We need this. God strengthens, encourages us by way of his word, by way of sacraments, by way of Prayer, by way of praise, by way of fellowship together. And, and we need to 
work at it in such a way that we glean from this, we take from this the very strength. We have to engage, have to engage in worship. I've been talking to a number of pastors the last couple of years, and one of the trends that we all see, and we're similar pastors and churches size and theology and all that, what we see as we continue to talk to people is that the generation is coming up, and that doesn't just mean a younger generation, but a generation of church people coming up that has the attitude of saying, if I go to church twice a month, that's, gr- that's good enough. And I'm here to tell you, it isn't. God has set aside one day in seven because we need it. That's the pattern of life. We get out of that pattern of life. It will hurt us. And I don't say that to fill the pews. I just say that because I love you. We need that. And my experience has been, and I'm old enough now to say that. My experience has been that people who are faithful in worship, not just showing up and engaging, who really come ready to receive from the Lord, and who engage in elements of worship as we confess, as we pray, as we sing, as we listen to the word read and preached and all of that, and receive from the table, uh, uh, engage in all of that, or strengthened in such a way that when affliction comes, this continues to strengthen them. Uh, we, we sang, Ryan wrote this great song, Awake my soul to sing of Jesus' mercy. See, that's... Sometimes we sing to ourselves, right? And that's all right. Sometimes the psalmist speaks to his own soul. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul, right? So this song, Ryan, picks up on that psalm tradition. And he, we spoke, we were saying, come on, soul, wake up. And why, do we, why do we sing that? <laughs> we sing that because if you're like me, when you show up at worship, your soul's asleep, perhaps. You're not really thinking about the mercy of God. Well, that's what we try to do here. We, we try to come together and, and, and think about that. So he says, awake my soul to sing of Jesus' mercy. Awake my soul to sing of Jesus' merit. Oh my, think of it. His merit, his worth at all, you see. And he earned, if you will, our salvation. Awake my soul to sing of the blessing of Jesus. Awake my soul to sing of Jesus' promise. You see, that, we should probably sing that every week because that's, uh, that's why we come. We're saying, come on, soul, wake up to this. Be encouraged by this. Be strengthened by this. So that when we go through difficulty... These things will encourage us and these things will strengthen us. What else do you have during times of deep affliction and difficulty? What else do you have other than the word of God coming to you and saying, I love you. I'm with you. I've forgiven you. I'm interceding, Jesus says, for you. My commandments are true. They'll, 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 they'll make wise the simple. They'll revive, restore your soul. I mean, what else do we have? One of the fascinating parts of my life is that I'm probably in hospitals more than non-medical people, visiting people. 
And I came to a conclusion very early in my life. And that is that everybody looks the same on a gurney. When you're walking around a hospital and people are being wheeled around, as many of us have been wheeled around, everybody looks the same. You don't know if they're wealthy or not. You don't know if they're highly educated or not. You don't know if they have a big family or not, unless there's people, you know, crowding around them. You don't know any of that. We all look, we all have nothing on a gurney other than the word of and the presence of and the spirit of God. And Paul says, He's the God of all comfort. Now, I'm out of time, almost uh, I'm out of time, but, but, but I have to make this point before I finish. Paul goes on to say in, in verse 5, because he's being very specific now, he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, as we suffer the same kinds of sufferings that Christ did, so through Christ. We share abundantly in comfort too. In other words, if there's abundant suffering, there's abundant comfort. Now here Paul's being more specific. He's talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. He's talking about righteousness suffering because we're actually following after Christ before the sort of general affliction. But now there is a real suffering that comes from being united to Christ, from suffering his sufferings, if you will. Paul put it in Philippians that he shared in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He, he, he shared those sufferings. We do that. We, we know that. And we know that um, sometimes it's physical. Hasn't been for most of us in our culture. It is for others throughout history and throughout the world, even on this day. It can be physical suffering uh, for us. It's more agonizing, I suppose, internal, some fear, but some steep sadness. As we think about the world in which we live, I can't read a newspaper, watch a television show, watch a commercial, watch a movie, uh, read a secular novel, book, history, what? Without being sad. And sometimes it's a deep sadness. And so we, we do suffer without affliction for righteousness sake, following Christ. And Paul says there's abundant suffering, but there's abundant comfort. And here, notice this, verse 6. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul's saying, if, if I'm afflicted, it's to bless you and to help you along on your, on your maturity as a believer in Jesus and your salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now, the point there is a little bit of a tricky um, translation, but, but the point there is that this comfort, this strength, this encouragement that God brings to you, the Father of mercy and the God of all comforts, that he brings to you through Jesus, works in you, energizes you, gives you the experience of patient endurance. Now, patient Endurance means not 
that the affliction necessarily goes away. But even if it doesn't, you're able to endure it patiently. And patience always has the component of hope. Because there's a sense in which we're being patient with the circumstance. We're being patient with ourselves. But we're also being patient with God. Being patient with God because we know that around some corner, whether it's in an hour, in a week, in a month, in a day, or at our death, or at his coming, all will be made right. And he says, this is what God brings to you. And and the great news of that is that Paul says, I'm completely, 100% certain that's true. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in him, he says, it's unshaken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Because he is the father of mercies. He's a merciful father towards you. He's the God of all comfort. He knows exactly the comfort you need. He has every bit of comfort available to him. And he's sovereign over it. He's the God of it. And, and, and he loves you. And so he'll bring it to you. And as he does, you can rest assured that you will endure patiently. Endure ultimately with joy. So don't be afraid of what's around the corner. Whether it's physically, relationally, or socially, or politically, or emotionally, or spiritually for righteousness sake. Don't be afraid of what's around the corner. Because he will strengthen and encourage you. And he'll strengthen and encourage you by his word. And he'll strengthen and encourage you in prayer. And he'll strengthen and encourage you through the sufferings of each other as we share life together. And he'll strengthen you by way of his sacraments. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread that was at that Passover table and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup that was there, that cup of blessing, and this too he gave to them. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, this table is to comfort us. That is, it's to strengthen And encourage us. And you say, well, how does it do that? Well, it doesn't do that simply by way of ingestion. Right? It doesn't do that just because there's bread and this juice and we eat it and put it all mushy together and so forth. It isn't that. Because it's just bread and juice. But it's bread and juice that's been set apart by Jesus. So it's still bread and juice. But but it's set apart for a particular purpose. 
Just like the words in the scripture are just words. They're words. But as Paul says, they're spiritual words. They're words that have been sanctified in such a way as to, as to give grace. And so this bread and juice, it's still just bread and juice, and it's not by ingestion that they were blessed, but there's something about it as we come to this table that's comforting, strengthening, encouraging. What's that? It's we're remembering Jesus. And we remember that he's the very manifestation of the mercy of God. That, that he's the very manifestation of the love of God. For God demonstrates his own kind of love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We think about that. So whatever the affliction you have, whatever the affliction you're anticipating, you bring to this table. And Jesus meets you. The one who gave himself for you. See? And that strengthens us. And he says, I really am here. I'm as close to you as this bread and juice. You can't see me. You can't really touch me. But I'm here. I'm with you and in you, individually and corporately, my body. Just as close as the... You can taste it. You can smell it. I'm that close. So, 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 so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so, time after time, as we come to this table, we must receive strength and comfort by thinking upon Jesus. Because there may come a day of affliction. So great that you're completely bankrupt of resources. And you may simply come to this table on automatic pilot. But because you've come so many times, Jesus will meet you here. And he'll bless you. And he'll encourage you. So today, engage. Today, receive. Today, believe. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. Around this simple table, with very simple elements upon it, that you would engage our minds, our hearts upon Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd be gracious to meet us here as often you meet us in prayer, as often you meet us in the scripture, as often you meet us in conversation with another brother and sister, as often as you meet us as we meditate upon your word in our own minds, as, as often as you meet us. I, I pray that you would meet us here now in this way that you've established, in this way you've ordained, in this way that you've instructed, in this way you've commanded, that, that, that you would meet us here. And by the eating and drinking, by the meditating upon you, 
that we'd be strengthened to patiently endure. And this I pray in Jesus' name.